What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Ask LFC podcast. My name is Harrison Gilming, Worship Arts Director here at Lake Forest in Huntersville. And Mike Moses, Lead Pastor of Lake Forest Church Huntersville. Good to be with you all today. Mike, before we start, there's something that I did not even tell you in the preview because I wanted to get your blind reaction to it. This right here is episode one. Hundred of the Ask LC podcast. We've Woo-hoo! done a hundred of these things. That feels at least worthy of celebrating for a minute. A hundred, which is oh pretty cool. Goodness. Which is pretty cool. We this was Mike, your idea a handful of years ago as just a way we could continue finding a way to uh, connect, communicate, share some some extra thoughts and stuff with, especially with the people. Of Lake Forest, and here yeah. we are a hundred later, which when is pretty cool. When we're not gathered together, and especially for those who sometimes it's folks who are new to the church, they'll say we binge-listened all the way to the beach. We feel caught up on Lake Forest, yep. and for sure on Mike Moses and Harrison Gilman <laughs> take on Lake Forest. Uh, so it, it's been used that way. A, a lot of you who are um, sort of uh, uh, in, leaned into the circle of Lake Forest and care more than your average bear— about the health and direction of your church. Yep. It's a helpful thing. And uh, we hope to drop some helpful um, wisdom and knowledge from time to time. So today, that will be about, um, the, well, we'll follow up from the sermon on kid as uh, CEO or in the corner office. Yep. And we're going to follow up mostly on the final point on which I was rushed. Per, that's unusual um, for me. Uh he said with a smirk, um, which you can't see on a podcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to just talk about the overscheduled pandemic for um, families and children, which is also one of the results, often one of the results, if the parent is not in the CEO chair and putting first things first priorities. Scheduling activities is great. They're good. But if they take over and there's no time for the most important things and the and it's a, the family is a corporation that's doing aimless activities that aren't all contributing powerfully to the final goal. That's bad for children. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about that from the standpoint, first of all, of uh, younger, like grade school children, and then teenage children. But first, but first, we. Uh, we wanted to share with you guys to tease a little bit of what's coming up here around the corner as we so often do. We're really uh, excited about these next couple months of stuff that's happening around here on Sunday mornings at Lake Forest in Huntersville. Uh, We are finishing up a sermon series this week called Unsubscribe, and then we're launching into uh, something that's been really helpful uh, for a lot of us here. We thought it'd be cool to share with the church as a whole. We're going through a series called to uh, a little bit to the point of where we're headed later in the mm-hmm. podcast, yeah. uh, the ruthless elimination of hurry. The ruthless elimination of hurry. Based off of a book by a guy named John Mark Comer. Uh, uh, we went through our community group about a year ago. We went through this book. Mike, you said your community group is just starting going through it here now. It's, it's just a really cool uh, look at uh, getting a little bit countercultural mm-hmm. uh, about how we build our lives and the kind of this core idea that when we are over busy and when we are hurried that we are just missing out on some of the key stuff of life so we're really excited to walk through that yes and and the material is speaking to a new new circumstance of culture <clears throat> that we live in where we are attempting to follow Jesus 
and those who may be in our family to follow Jesus with us, to lead them to do so. And so our culture has changed. God's prescription for those things has not changed. And so it's, it's, um, there's a great uh, exposition of what hurry looks like today in a person. Um, <clears throat> and then in the end, it's leaning into um, time-worn, um, biblically-based practices to have an unhurried life that allows time for what's most important uh, and powerful spiritual growth, things like silence and Sabbath, and etc. So I'm really, our community group just started, we're going to, to make that our fall study. We've got a study guide out of that book, mm-hmm. and we had our first meeting about it last night, and everyone was leaned in. In our case, we're almost all empty nesters. And so I've read books, and Angie and I have thought hard about what does Sabbath mean with preschoolers running around our house in diapers? What does Sabbath mean with grade schoolers uh, and their schedule? What does Sabbath mean with teenagers and college students? Our group is like, we're looking forward to readdressing biblical Mm. principles of Sabbath, of simplicity. Most of our group, empty nesters, they're also at their highest earning power of their life uh, at that point in their career. What does simplicity mean? For us, hmm. when we're no longer paying for college, yep. you can dream about this, Harrison. One just, day. just close your eyes for a moment. One day. No longer paying for college, and for us, uh, filling up two high school football player boys mm-hmm. for four years of grocery expenses, etc. So, oh, yeah. uh, simplicity for us will be a, a new thing we're looking for. How did it go when? So, I recommend. I, I like actually strongly recommend if your community group uh, or men's group has not yet chosen a curriculum for the fall, love for you to track because I think it'll make your Sunday morning experiences more powerful. Mm-hmm. And then the Sunday morning content may make your small group experience more powerful. How did that go for your group? It was really good. This was actually during the days for us. Uh, <clears throat> we had, we were still meeting at the time over Zoom because okay. this was a little over a year ago that we went through this and it was kind of the, we're figuring out, should we meet back in person? It was actually really cool for us as kind of a, foundation lay lay some groundwork for what life was going to look like now for us so i feel like we put a couple of tools in the toolbox to get ready for which i i feel like just this is just uh, from conversations i've gleaned with people hanging out with our band and tech teams and stuff that people interact with on sundays there's definitely like a relearning curve of like okay we had it feels like we had like a we had like two years off of a lot of our extra stuff other than the essential things. So now, you know, if you have kids, all the sports are back in full swing, schools back in full swing, all of our activities and softball leagues and all the stuff that we do, everything is back all at once. So it's like, okay, how do we re-engage with this stuff in a healthy way? That's where it's been helpful for us. Well said. During the shutdown, Angie and I made time for a new thing. We went, we would drive within a hundred miles, you know, as you know, and hike for a whole day, once a week, sometimes for an overnight. We have not done that yeah. uh, in, I, I'm not sure. I think we did it a month ago. It's certainly not weekly. It's a good example. Yeah. Um, hey, after this sermon series, then we're looking, we're going to do a series on prayer. It's going to not, it's going to be less about what is prayer and more how to pray. The disciples said to Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he met them there. We're going to look more at the the skills than the knowledge of prayer. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that. 
Harrison, I think you guys may be working on a worship night, uh, and mm-hmm. this might be now that we're saying it publicly. It's happening. Uh, uh, then in Advent, we're going to do something different. We are going to kick off, instead of in January, a new long-term series. In Advent, we're going to kick off a months-long, seasons-long study through the Gospel of Luke. We're just going to go through it, mm-hmm. section by section, and we're going to start with the birth narratives of Jesus. That's Luke. Uh, and so that'll be December, and then in January, we'll get into the early chapters of Luke, and we'll go on through Lent and Easter at a minimum. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it's going to be really... And, and something that, just to slide it behind the scenes for those of you who care about this, even what's fun for us walking through a long book like that is that we still... We often, I mean, all the time, actually break down what's happening on our Sunday mornings into kind of these man- manageable chunks we call teaching series, kind of taking four, five, six weeks going through some similar content. Um, it's fun for us as a creative team because we, we're going to go through the book of Luke in, in a long, more long-form fashion, but we still challenge ourselves to kind of break it up into these thematic sections that give you a little, a little bit of a handhold and make mm-hmm. it continue to feel fresh and give us some, uh, some, some angles to go at it creatively more than just saying, hey, come to Lake Forest while we do... 22 weeks in Luke we're in number 19 are you having fun yet so yeah and and I have friends who have chosen and they they think it's the right way to do it they feel strongly about um going through a book of the Bible for a year at a time or two years at a time and that's a legitimate incredibly legitimate way to do it um it's not how Jesus taught um, he kind of looked in the moment of what people were dealing with, and then he would pull into the Scripture, uh, what we call the Old Testament, and apply it with his own teaching. In fact, more of the content of Jesus' teaching is direct quote or allusion to the Old Testament than most of us realize. That would be a good yep. sermon one day, actually, um, to show how soaked he was in the Word of God to his people. Mm. Uh, we We prefer to have a... Um, God's led us to have a more varied diet within any season of the year and within a year in the life of the church. So we'll, we will be in the New Testament, Old Testament, the history books, the prophecy. Uh, and so we think that's a balanced diet. Yep. And I'm not critiquing those who do it the other way. Uh, they will often critique the way we do it more sure. often and <laughs> yeah. say, no, there's one right way to do it. And I'm like, no, and that's, you know, that's periods of church history where that developed and became the norm and considered the only way to do it. But they're both uh, excellent ways to study God's Word. We like to balance both, and so that's one reason we are going to tackle the book of Luke sequentially uh, and starting in December and moving into the new year. I'm excited. Hey, let's move um, to just a little wrap-up of the sermon Sunday, uh, to which there was a lot of response. Um kid in the the corner office i can't remember what the exact title was mm-hmm. and um interesting i i received a number of responses i don't know what you've heard one of the most interesting was from an empty nester couple who said they talked about it all afternoon and for them it was a little bit mournful hmm. they they debriefed the message and uh and evaluated we allow that that opening montage I'll call it Mm -hmm. (laughs) of a a pattern that can be very typical in our culture of a a husband and a wife having a child and slowly passively Mm -hmm. in almost every case 
allowing the kid to be the center of the home rather than the biblical principle is that a child is a welcome addition to the home but not the center of it and yet in our culture the tendency and there are those who actually do promote this really in really hippie parenting land um that no no no, the child is to be and and passively we allow the child to be the center of the home and it's not only bad for the child then the marriage drifts and and Mm -hmm. i won't go back through our description of that but this one couple in particular just were reflecting with some melancholy over some things they missed out in on in their marriage in those years because um it was hard work to keep the marriage central and so a lot of the principle of the sermon was not only, hey, give your kids structure and you lead them, you're their shepherd, you know what's best, give them boundaries in this area, this area, this area, and put learning about the kingdom of God and Jesus first and, make, and then let activities fit in around that rather than the opposite. That's, that's one way to summarize the sermon. Yeah. And yet another subthesis of the message was, and the best thing you can do, even if you're just not brilliant at all that parenting stuff and you don't get it right about when to discipline and what consequences and all that kind of thing. Um, you should be trying <laughs> with consistency and perseverance and unity between husband and wife on those matters. But that you can, you can, um, you can overcome a lot of failures there by putting the marriage first, spinning, uh, which is the, God's first word about the family. The, the man and the woman will leave their father and mother, cleave to one another, but the two will become one flesh. And, and then you raise your child so that they will leave one day. You train up a child, you teach a child so that they will go. Um, so time spent with intentionality on cultivating the marriage, whether the marriage is easy, whether it's medium, or whether it's hard. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows which category your marriage falls into if you're married. Uh, was a subtext there um, that I leaned into uh, this Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I I think that uh, when you talk about putting the marriage first, what's so what's so wise about that beyond just the fact that uh, two two spouses partnering together and kind of being more on the same page than they would attacking this separately. But I I think and I've seen in our own house that just the act of uh, choosing to value and put uh, put a priority on time with you and your spouse, if it's a date night, if it's getting away for a couple days, like, you know, kids love going with grandma and grandpa, but sometimes if that's for like three days because you're going away, they're mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't go, blah, blah, blah. but it's like they see it actively in your behavior that you're saying like, no. Like, I know you want me to stay home and do all the things that I normally do with you and your mom to do all the things she normally does with you, but we are showing you in practice Mm -hmm. by the decision that we're making by choosing to spend time with each other. We're actually showing our kids in that moment, like, okay, hey, you're, you, there are moments where you're not the center of all this and we're going to put this at the top. So even, uh, even the practice of doing that, I think communicates stuff to your kids by just just doing it they see it something that sounds a little radical to some family i've met with some young families recently who are having trouble um uh leaving their children with babysitters even family yeah um and i you know i get that for certain motivations angie and i 
um, when when our our church launched, I was thirty three, and about a year and a half into it, we officially became a, a church in our denomination. We elected elders. Hey, we're actually a real church now. Mm-hmm. And my own personal celebration, Angie and I put aside a little money um, in our little tiny budget uh, at that age. And a, a friend offered us a home somewhere. And we went to the Bahamas for a week, this uh, Long Island, to uh, a friend of a friend's place for a week, scraped together airfare. Uh, and we are like, the boys were four and five like they're gonna be fine we're gonna scrabble together a college student or two and Mm. my parents and they'll just get over it and uh we did that later on i know they were the first time angie and i scrabbled together savings and we went to europe we found this there was announced one morning on in the charlotte observer that american air had started some new route to paris and it was they were selling tickets for a limited time for 330 dollars we just went and bought the tickets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Figured the rest of it out. Sure. And our boys were like, why are we not going? This was grade school. Yep. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and we, this was a way of saying we, we are the, I don't know that we ever said we're the priority in the home. We might yeah. have said it that way. You know, we say to our kids, uh, like we really actually say this. We're like, I promise you that your life will be better when when we get, when we, as yeah. me and my wife, when we get to spend time together and make sure that we're in good shape, I promise you everything else that happens is happier in this house. So like <laughs> it's, it's to your best interest that we go on dates every now and again, that we do a fun thing every now and again without you. And we do plenty of fun stuff with you, but yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, you do. Mm. Um, let, let's, let's spend a few minutes Talk, just um, teasing out some practicality from a couple of articles that I ran across about the final point in the sermon, which again had a dual, it was two sides of one coin. It was parent as CEO. If you're a follower of Christ, uh, a CEO is supposed to help the whole organization, the whole company, keep your eye on the most important thing. You know, So imagine what that is for any given company. Um, and the CEO, the, the oh, oh, one other reaction. This is funny. A mother of a teenager, uh, a couple of teenagers told me they came home from church Sunday. And her 16-year-old daughter was like playfully, so mom, he talked about, you know, demote your child, send him down the hall to the windowless office, and you're in the CEO office with the window. Can't the CEO office have two CEO chairs and two windows and two desks, not meaning mom and dad. Yeah. But, but, um, and so they had a actually, they started playful and they had a, uh, she, the, the parent thanked me for the conversation that was sparked between he and her, she and her 16 year old. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would have loved to have heard more content about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the second, um, the last point was, um, the CEO sets the priority. And, and puts first things first in the organization, right? A CEO is responsible that all the employees are doing the most important things in their job so that you get the most powerful output. That if all the employees are spending all their time on ancillary activities, uh, you know, trust falls in the, in the break room mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or busy work that interests them but doesn't relate to the bottom line, mm-hmm. that company is going to underperform. And for the household to go, we all say, I want the best for my children. And 
if you push a Christian, they'll say, the best I want is that they're secure uh, in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ that sticks with them through thick and thin, that they know they are the Lord's beloved and they have the Holy Spirit and all of his spiritual resources and they're solid, they're good. There's eternity. They feel secure about that. And, and other people, uh, what other people think about them is not as important as what God is. That that would, I don't know a Christian who wouldn't nod their head like you are right now, Harrison. You're, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's, I'm glad to see you're nodding your head. Yep. Um, that would be the best. When I say I want the best for my kid, that would be the best, best, best. And yet how many families allow activities, the schedule, the the million and one activities, and, and different families with different children do it out of different motivations, right? Some different motivations. But how many of us allow activities to be that uh, the center of the home and squeeze out the time that it would take and the commitments it would take in the home and outside the home for that first thing to really be first? Am I really allowing time, relationships, weekly rhythms that could actually form my child into faith? Or am I just hoping that slapping something at them and they hear a little content once will do the trick while really all the formative time is going to activities? That was the final point. Um, you and Emily ever um, have to have to do a, a, a refresh mm-hmm. or a, hey, time for an annual performance evaluation. Do we have too many activities, too few? Yeah, we had a, we had a big spot actually. Um, our oldest one has grown up ever since about five years old he's loved playing baseball that's been his main thing he's he's been in teams he's done all the stuff so when he got to kind of that late elementary middle school age he was a part of every travel team you could dream of doing that whole thing there if many parents listening to this will know exactly what I'm talking about and it's a huge time commitment it can be a huge financial commitment it's a whole family thing every father's day yeah. I thank Dylan and Austin for not choosing baseball or swimming. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot of time. <laughs> and we got to a point at, toward the end of his middle school years where we kind of, Emily and I looked at each other and we we're like, you know, we we should pull back from some of this because we need to start intentionally building into him some other identity other than the main thing I am in this world is a baseball player because if that ever... Hmm through an injury or through just growing out of it, if that ever becomes something that's not part of his identity, he's going to look around and be like, what am I? I have nothing all the time, all of my passion identity I've invested into this one thing. So we stepped back and we completely stopped doing all the travel stuff. He played high school ball. He's now part of a college program and he's able to continue to play. We got it for us. Honestly, we just realized that um, it gets to a certain point as a young man where a lot of your future as an athlete just depends on what happens when you're 13, 14, 15 and up and how how big and strong are you going to naturally grow? (laughs) Like there's a lot of it that's that. There's a lot more. But yeah, we had to make a we had to make a tough decision. Was there any pushback there? Oh, yeah. For a while he was very upset with it. And then even even later on, every now and again in high school when something didn't go his way, in the heat of being real upset, there'd be like a little undercurrent of like, well, if you'd have let me still do the travel stuff, maybe this wouldn't happen. We're like, well, we, you know, we tried to f- find other alternatives to help train da 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 and, and ha- have him 
realized that a lot of it depends on his own motivation and hard work and just grown up lesson stuff, you know, yeah. just learning to be responsible for your own growth as an athlete and as a person. Which, by the way, is an example of the many good things that sports, mm-hmm. dance, music lessons, um, uh, martial arts, all these activities, they're good things. Yep. The, uh, what I learned myself, what my sons learned, those are all that he had to navigate uh, leading up to the coach, you know, uh, coach, what would I need to do to get more playing time? Uh, boy, I spent a lot of time coaching my sons on that conversation. Oh yeah. For me example. too. Me too. Um, so they're good. These activities are good, but you guys hit a point where they were squeezing out the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and maybe even, I appreciate what you said more than squeezing out the best. They were, they could have tempted him to put, to think that this good thing is the best, and then when that goes away, which it will, mm-hmm. um, yep, for everybody, uh, for everybody, always does. Yeah, in fact, I think you pulled up some statistics on. Uh, uh, I pulled up an. I, I heard an NPR piece on. Twenty six percent of U.S. parents who have their kids involved in sports in grade school have high hopes that someday their child might go pro. Yeah. In communities who earn households earn under $50,000 a year, 39% of those parents report a strong hope they'll go pro. Um, an interesting motivation for, well, what if? So we should do the travel stuff starting when they're four years old. <laughs> yeah, because you, you think that's the way to get there. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. And it's cool now, actually, that at... at our local high school at Hopewell, they actually share this data with athletes at the beginning of every school year. That's which why is, you brought that up. I, yeah, I loved that. Which that is the really cool. director stated this. Because he's basically saying, like, guys, you have to, again, your identity, you have to continue to have dreams outside of athletics because there, there will come a point, whether it's in two years or whether it's in 20 years, you know, even, uh, even, even at some point, Tom Brady right. is going to have to look at life when he is not an NFL <laughs> okay, quarterback. Okay, let's not bring up that example. Okay, not that example. That's, that's a bad example. So, so, <laughs> but this is true in dance and cheering. Yeah, so uh, to take the example, I'll pick a couple sports. Uh, so uh, baseball, this isn't even talking about pro. This is just to play in college. In, there are about 500,000 high school baseball players okay. in, in America. Uh, only about 7% of those will move on to play college baseball. Okay. And only 2%, 2% out of 500,000 will play division 1 baseball. If you look at a sport oh, wow. like okay. If you look at a sport like volleyball, uh, there's a lot of volleyball players. Um, 65,000 or so volleyball players, 3% of those play college volleyball. Whoa. It's just the funnel gets so small and then Whoa. if you go if you go the next step up and look at the amount of college athletes that eventually go pro. I mean, the numbers are, it's very sobering. They're all less than 10%. And, and just to get to the funnel of being the college level is already, you know, if you're on a baseball team in high school, you're maybe one out of nine players on that field are going to play college. Now I do understand it's a healthy, it's an okay motivation. There are parents who they're not thinking about pros, but they are thinking, this could be a way to pay for college. Mm-hmm. And I've actually know parents who have strategized. They've looked at what is the most likely female college scholarship. So, baby, 
we're taking golf lessons next week. Yep. Like, literally, in in a you know that's of course could go really bad if you're making a kid do it right. It, yes. In most cases, this is good spirited, um, uh, but even so, that percent is still so very very low. Which is the which was the sobering part for us is just realizing and and our son is lucky enough where he he's able to be part of a baseball program in college for now. We'll see how far it goes, but he he's also very aware that this is. He's already beating major odds, and he's he's dreaming about what life's going to look like after baseball for him, which is all we've wanted this whole way is just see yourself as as a person that can have dreams beyond what happens on that baseball diamond because someday that's not going to be there. That was our whole motivation. So, yeah. And a, and a, 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 you know a thesis that I had it well um, a principle here. If we think that the best for our child, really, if you just, if you, you know, put a spotlight on me and interrogate me, what is the best top thing to give your child? We really do believe it's security in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And Mm -hmm. so, so being sure that first in the schedule are things like participation in worship in Kidtropolis Club 54, my gosh. Um, what a powerful identity forming yep. group for fourth and fifth graders at a time when now identity formation it has moved down from high school. It's formed most powerfully these days in middle school and even fourth and fifth grade because fifth grade is middle school and a couple of charter schools. Um, in remix, it's uh, you know such and half of the value of that at having them here regularly is uh, you participating in a community group. The fact that we were in a community group all those years, that's a category, a life category for my sons. Those are all adult pictures for them mm-hmm. of prioritizing Christ and seeing our parents with these wonderful other uh, people, uh, couples and single single uh, mothers and fathers in our group, um, prioritizing sitting around God's Word, praying for one another. Um, it made me happy Tuesday night, Harrison, that at the same time, Angie and I were leaving to go to our community group. Uh, our son Austin and his wife Nicole were uh, leaving their place to go to their community group of twenty-somethings at mm. Forest Hill Church. That's cool in South Charlotte. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. And so then, after we, later, we compared notes. Uh, it did my heart good that that was formed in him. The mentors that are in a child's life through kid, especially beginning at Club Fifty Four, Remix, uh, Middle and High School. Um, are provides something that a parent can't, and and then the part that's even more intimidating to many parents, and yet it's just not that it doesn't have to be hard, is prioritizing talking about the things of God around home, anchors of times of prayer in the evening or the morning or around mm-hmm. a meal. When ours were teens, we were doing less of snuggling and praying with him at night, but the family meal that we would have uh, quite often, m- mostly through the week, would be a time to. Um, what can we pray for you about? Um, here's a scripture. Let's discuss. So, uh, just habits of shepherding your child, put um, times of spiritual discussion, and more. Um, we could go a lot further into how to do that. That's not really our subject today. Yeah. But if there's no time, it's it's a hard thing to initiate uh, in a family, and for a single parent or a husband and wife to decide well, how will I put a stake in the ground that's visible and time and takes up some time that has to do with the Lord and 
his word and talking about that party in the warp and woof of our home. It's that's already a hard thing to initiate because you feel like a dweeb, yeah, um, doing it. But so it's easy to passively overschedule everything else out and let that. Oh well, you know we just didn't have time for it. Um, Pastor Tim Keller says this such a good way, as he says so many things in so many good ways. But this really helped me process. Well, I'm sure you've said this from the stage numerous times as well, Mike. Um, but when you feel attacked by something like this, which I know even at times hearing good advice, (laughs) like because of where I was made me feel a little attacked because I'm like, well, you know, I'm trying da da da. But Tim Keller says uh, an idol is when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing. Mm -hmm. And all, almost all the things that you have been talking about Sunday, the things we're talking about here, these can all be good things. There's no attack on these things as things investing in your kids investing in you know we've done we did baseball lessons we took them to lift with trainers and stuff like there's nothing we were finely tuned on this at the moses house and sometimes we go on one side sometimes on the other of Mm -hmm. in balance or out of balance that's that's the thing is that line of figuring out am i taking this thing that is a good thing just like with with so many areas that end up uh dominating our life and this is just one of them that we're talking about but it's just Praying, discerning, finding the wisdom to know, uh, am I letting this thing that is a good thing become the most important part of mm-hmm. my life or the, in this case, the life of our family? And that just takes a little honesty and sometimes it stings a little <laughs> to talk about it. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Let's finish with maybe some handholds, uh, an article or two um, that are maybe helping us diagnose that, Harrison, mm-hmm. what you're saying that that. It might sting a little, but just helpful as a parent to go, oh, wow, is that my reality right now? And uh, off of Crosswalk.com, author Michelle Lazurek uh, wrote an article called Seven Real Signs Your Kid Is Overscheduled. Hmm. Um, And I found some of this helpful because in today's world, kids do have more commitments than ever before. That is actually true. And we all also know that this can hinder our child's development and well-being. So here are seven signs. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just seven signs your child might be overscheduled. Number one, your child shows signs of anxiety. This was written before the pandemic. There's a lot of reasons for a child to show anxiety today. Uh, but anxiety can manifest as many symptoms. Nervous energy, nausea, lack of concentration, irritability, mood swings, um, uh, and, and kids that never get a chance to calm down and relax uh, can grow up to have significant emotional, spiritual, psychological problems. And and a, a quick thought by this author was, of course, this is just what we've been talking about all along. It's not very detailed here. But to as a family, choose. And, and this depends on age. And I uh, when I wrote that sermon in 2003, I had a specific couple of paragraphs in there about how many activities maybe you might think of choosing per season Mm -hmm. based on the age of the child um of course it's less when they're younger and just that you know work with your child and pick a a a couple of activities but help them to say no to every activity but that's the parent's responsibility to kind of settle give them choice agency Mm -hmm. do you want to do you know whatever it is dance or karate this fall and then we'll choose again in the winter. For you know, that's just a small example. Another, I thought this was a great suggestion because anxiety is so prevalent. 
this is a a a way to shepherd a child's heart spiritually if they're feeling anxious uh, and your child's feeling anxious is to just tutor them and go you know what god's word says something to do when we're feeling anxious and you could write out this verse and put it on the refrigerator first peter 5 7 cast all your anxiety on god because he cares for you Hmm. and you just have conversations with your child i'm sorry you were feeling anxious on test day Let's, let's say this again here, and you can say that when you feel that way when the test starts. When the teacher says, okay, time to start the test, the timer's starting, you can say, First Peter 5, 7, I'm casting all my anxiety on you, God, because I know you care for me. That's an example of a, a targeted, in the kid's real life way to shepherd them spiritually to lean into God. Hmm. A second sign that your child may be overscheduled is your child has misplaced priorities. You address that quite a bit there, Harrison. Uh, kids that are overscheduled can become obsessed with all the fun activities they do so that they sometimes neglect schoolwork and other things. Um, there's nothing wrong with your kids doing activities, but it, the parent must set the priority of schoolwork, and then I would add uh, spirituality. Um, help par- kids prioritize effectively by putting fun in its proper place, um, etc., um, do they see fun uh, and unscheduled fun modeled in the parents' lives? Oh, wow. Okay, <laughs> a third um, sign that your kid may be overscheduled is your child is a perfectionist. Hmm. Um, while oh. sports performance is important for those who commit to being part of a team, kids that are overscheduled sometimes don't draw proper boundaries when it comes to doing their best versus not being so hard on themselves. Uh, additionally, adults who overschedule kids have a warped view of time. They be- believe a child's success hinders on whether or not every minute of that child's life is spent doing activities. They'll teach them to grow. It's a skill they can use later in life. Mm-hmm. And kids who are trained by coaches for a large part of their time learn to earn the approval of authority figures. This doesn't bode well for overscheduled children, especially those that are Christians. Christians follow a God who loves his children no matter what. And we might have an, eventually that kid may have a tough time understanding God's unconditional, unmerited favor. So help overscheduled kids understand not everything in life has to be earned or perfect. Hmm. Um, uh, spending time with no other goal than just being together will help them understand their value is not based on whether every minute is scheduled, but whether time is spent being a good human, being loved by God and loving others. A fourth sign that your child may be overscheduled is your child is overly fatigued. We talked about that a little bit in the sermon. I think we all understand that. Um, That relates to the point in the sermon about the example of if the parent is the CEO, they set the bedtime. First of all, for the parent's good, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so you have some time to recharge yourself and or reconnect with your spouse. And then for their good, so they're not exhausted. And that takes work. The kid will push back, just like you got pushed back on travel baseball. Yep. Number five, a sign your child may be overscheduled is your child suffers suffers from frequent illnesses. Of course, there are many reasons for that, but that's one. Hmm. Uh, This one, uh, number six, your child is hesitant to attend activities. (laughs) Um, That might be a sign they're feeling burned out. And and that might be a sign if they're hesitant in any one or more activities to to just bring it down to one. Uh, Figure out their passion, direct them to that, figure out their boundaries. They may be a uh, uh, yeah, um, um, yeah. So I uh, seven. I thought this was interesting. 
Your child may be overscheduled if they complain about being bored. <laughs> when kids oh, are overstimulated, yeah. they don't know what to do with themselves once they actually have nothing to do. <laughs> That's interesting, yeah. Uh, I thought that was really counterintuitive to me. Um, uh, kids will chase after what's modeled for them. As adults, when we have nothing to do, do we fill our time staring at our phone um, or seek to spend time being in one another's presence, God's presence, or just quietly reading a book um, and showing kids what a free life looks like? Yeah. Um, although society may dictate overscheduling as the norm, we can choose a different life. Allow kids to pick one or two activities per year based on their passions, along with scheduling time to do nothing and teaching your kids coping mechanisms to deal with the physical manifestations of overscheduling will help turn an overscheduled kid to one who achieves balance in that aspect and ultimately every aspect of their lives. A, a real practical handhold, and we'll, we'll get ready to wrap this up here in a minute, but something to, something to try, whether you're a parent, whether you're uh, Mike and however many years you're, you'll be in grandparent mode, you'll have a little five-year-old <laughs> soccer player, Moses kid running around and you'll be the grandparent cheering on the sidelines. Something that we learned to try that may bring some freedom, not only to you as a parent, but to your kid is whatever the thing is that they're in, whatever the, whether it's Baseball, ballet, gymnastics, volleyball, soccer, mm -hmm. the acting, school plays, whatever whatever the thing is, replace that with whatever it is. Um, it brought a lot of freedom in our lives for a lot of different reasons where we, we as parents could learn to tell our kids, um, hey, if you decided after this year, when they're feeling, sometimes they'll come and they'll be anxious and stressed They'll feel like that perfectionist mode. They'll be worried about a coach. They'll be blah, 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 blah. Any number of things is for us to be able to look at them and be like, hey, just so you know, if you decided after this season, you know, we want you to finish the commitment that you're in right now. If you get through the end of the stretch and you decide, I don't ever want to be a baseball player again. I don't ever want to do gymnastics again. I don't ever. We will not think even one tiny bit less of you than we do right now because the things that we love about you do not have anything to do with that. If that's what you want, we're going to do everything that we can in a healthy way to support that. But the freedom, I think that that brought both us to name mm -hmm. that and that it brought to our kids for them to feel that pressure from us that yeah. we didn't realize we were putting. A lot of times our kids have that unspoken pressure of like, because I see mom and dad cheering for me while I do this thing. That must be the thing that they like best about uh, me. And yes, for your kids to be insightful. able to, for your kids to hear you say, I don't care if you don't ever do this again. Just it, like you need to say to your spouse, I love you. Don't leave it unsaid. Mm -hmm. uh, that's very insightful. So you may want to, you may, you may try that. And to some parents that may feel super weird and counterintuitive to yeah. say, because you want them to succeed. Yeah. You want them to be the best at the thing that they're doing. But we always put it, try to, we learn to try and put it back on our kids and say, if this is what you want, we will help you be as successful as you can. But if yeah. it's not your choice, then we love you. Do something else. Well, the, this sermon and this podcast, um, were, were I was very strident in the sermon, but it was not to condemn but to equip, to be sure we wake up and pay attention to the life we're actually constructing and that it's on purpose the way a CEO gets paid to be, to be on mm -hmm. purpose. I, I got that metaphor from someone else, as I said in the sermon, uh, but it was helpful. Um, not to condemn, but to equip with mm -hmm. God's principles that the the marriage or the health of the single parent is 
the top priority in the home, uh, that put first things first with your children, invest time and uh, get a book, read articles on being a spiritual leader in your home, and we have ways to equip you to do that from time to time. Uh, and then help your child, yeah, make, make good, teach them boundaries um, for the rest of their life on which activities will do and not do. And then the Sabbath principle that will come in in the next series is, mm-hmm. is a biblical bedrock <laughs> for the parent and the child that sort of is the governing principle over all of this. It's going to look different for every family and every activity they're in and the success rate of that child. And Because uh, at the same time, uh, each of my sons excelled at different things, and I wanted them. I wanted to invest in their full potential. If, is that the thing or that's the – and even though we knew, okay, football's not going to be forever, but they were good. One of those kids, you know, all-conference captain, all that. But it's teaching – I want them to pursue excellence in whatever God calls them to yep. do later in life. And so uh, there's that balance part. Mm-hmm. That So this is not um, – condemnation hopefully equipping good to talk to our ask lake forest podcast listeners today the end of the 100th episode here's to another at least one more (laughs) we'll keep it going we'll see you guys back uh in about a week we'll catch you next time see you guys